The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 14 through 37. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything away. And let him who is in the field not turn back to take his mantle. And alas, for those who are with child, and for those who give suck in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation which God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not shortened the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or of that hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. I'm not calling for, like, open rebellion. I'm not calling for all-out revolution. I, okay, I am. I just wanted some qualifiers to sort of soften it. You know, um, like, I'm not calling for armed revolution, absolutely not armed revolution. I mean, that is true. But, um... Violence, on the other hand, may be included. But I'm not advocating violence. Um, well, not physical violence. 
it's kind of hard to qualify a radical call for revolution. And it's kind of hard to make a passionate call for a revolution that has been going on for thousands of years and for many of those years really lacked uh, passion. So this is a call, a recall for revolution. Like we should recall that a revolution is going on. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is the 28-day period of preparation for the celebration of the beginning of the revolution. It is the 28-day period of recalling the revolution, of bringing the fact of the revolution back to the forefront of our lives, our consciousness, so we might re-revolutionize or relive the revolution. The church has historically read these apocalyptic, eschatological scripture passages during Advent for two reasons. First of all, the gospel for this church year happens to be Mark. And in Mark, you can't really read about the upcoming birth of Christ or the birth of Jesus because there is no birth story in the gospel of Mark. So, you got to read something. And secondly, well, secondly is the something that gets read, that gets talked about. And the second thing that gets talked about during Advent is the second coming. The second coming, yes, the second coming as it is known in folk parlanese. Yes, the second coming of Christ. And so we look forward to God celebrating, we look forward to celebrating God and Jesus coming into the world to reconcile the world as the baby, which happened in the past. And then we also celebrate the coming again of Jesus back into the world to finish the job, make it stick this time, apply it to everyone, the quick and the dead, which happens in the future. Well, I'm not dead, but I'm not that quick either. But quick enough to see that this is not a very good reading of the Gospel of Mark. Because in that folkology, folk theology, theophany, we are left for a very long time in the middle. Really great stuff happened in the past. Really good stuff is going to happen in the future. We're here in the long middle where no super cool stuff is happening. Mark is really going out of his way here to convince his original readers that they are living in the present reality of the full and ongoing revolution. Mark is telling his people in his community that super cool stuff is happening to them right as they live. Now, as to some future date, when, like, all time will come to an end, and there will be some big, complete thing happen in the future where the second coming will be, Mark, he knows nothing about that. He does not speak of it. Even though these scriptures have been interpreted, interpreted as saying that forever, 
It's, it's, not, uh, it's not about that for Mark. He doesn't know. Nobody told him about the second coming. Now, I'm not saying that, that it's not going to happen. I mean, it certainly has been a tenant of Christian orthodoxy for many, many years. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been orthodox theology ever since Father Ortho first invented theology in 1669. So I'm just, I'm just saying that Mark is not talking about that. I think Mark doesn't think it would even be very helpful to his community to put their hopes in some far-off future event. Maybe he thinks that it might cause them to miss out on the revolutionary activity that is happening in the present for them. I think it might be helpful for us, too, to think also along these lines. There are many examples of how a good revolution begins. And in the, it just occurs to me that there are not very many examples of how a good revolution ends well. I mean, plenty of, there's plenty of examples of how good revolutions end badly or how bad revolutions end badly, but I mean, I know it's me just sitting in judgment of what's a good revolution and what's a bad revolution from some point outside of these revolutions, which I am referencing these revolutions that I'm talking about but not actually naming, so you can't even judge me in my judging of their goodness or their badness. None of this is my point. I digress. There are many examples of how revolutions begin. You know, what, what do they do? Like, the first thing is to, like, seize the palace or seize the Capitol building or blow up the power-generating dam, cutting off power to the Capitol so you can go in and rescue PETA <laughs> or seize the radio or the TV stations, take out the governing leaders, take out the generals. In Mark, the first thing Jesus does is he takes out the evil spirits. He takes out all the demons and all the devils. He destroys the powers that be. And then he shuts down the temple because it serves those powers. And he shows it for what it is, illuminating its workings. He shows that it's not the house of God, but a tool for religious and civil leaders to concentrate their power over the people. And he predicts its final and complete destruction. Now, as close as followers, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they ask him, when, they, they ask him, when will this happen? They want to know because the expectation was when the temple is destroyed, it would usher in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, brought about by the Messiah. Now, actually, this wasn't probably much of an expectation of the actual Peter, James, John, and Andrew, but it was the expectation of the people in Mark's community to whom he was writing, the original hearers of Mark's gospel. Because they were sitting at that time of the writing, they were sitting there 10 years after the actual destruction of the temple that Jesus predicted. And they wanted to know when that kingdom of God was going to show up. It had been 10 years. Now, Mark is not subtle in breaking out of his narrative of Jesus' life and talking directly to the reader. How unsubtle? He says this in verse 14, let the reader understand. Mark Jesus says, when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it not ought to be, let the reader understand. 
and the readers would understand because they saw the desolating sacrilege standing where it not ought to be. They saw Titus, the Roman general, standing atop the rubble of the temple he destroyed along with the rest of Jerusalem. Mark's Jesus goes on to say, in this time of great suffering when everyone is longing for the Messiah that will put all to right, restore everything as it was, there will be plenty of people who claim to be the Messiah and promise what they cannot deliver. Be aware of the false messiahs and the false prophets. They will produce signs and omens to lead you away. Be alert. And then he goes on to describe what it will look like when the true Messiah comes in power and glory. And in doing so, he uses the same words he uses to describe what it is like when Jesus died on the cross. Yet all through Mark's gospel, Jesus' power and glory can only be understood as the power and glory of the cross. So as hard as it is to understand, as hard as it is to figure out what it means, as much as they want it to look different, the Messiah has already come, is already here. The revolution is in full swing now, even though it might be really, really hard to notice. Because we really maybe are looking in the wrong place. That's why we need this Advent time, these 28 days of recalling the revolution, the revelation. Now, I started out making a faltering call to revolution. But of course, see, the problem is that it is not about me misunderstanding the revolution or me looking in the wrong place. It is not my revolution to call for. It is not about us getting a freedom-fighting band to overthrow them. This is a revolution without them. It is about, it is not about doing something to them at all. It is not even about us doing something. It is not to us to bring this revolution to be. Because this revolution is being done to us, has been done, and is being done to us. We just don't see it, don't know how to receive it. So let this 28 days be a time for recalling, for reciting. Let us pray that we may be given sight, first that we might see the dead things we worship, and then see beyond them, see beyond them to the revolution that we might eat this revolution, ingest this revolution, and feel the fullness of this transforming mercy.